Well, hello there. This is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. You've joined us in a series called Future Trends, where we're talking about what the Bible has to say about future prophecy. We're speaking today on the topic, Laughing Our Way to the Last Days. As I just said, I'm Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word. I'm so glad you joined us today. When you think about the idea of the last days and a coming judgment, you realize that the Bible is full of that, and yet modern churches and preachers are often silent on that topic. When we think about the idea that there is moral evil in the world, even apart from what the Bible says, within our own hearts, we know that there has to be a balancing of the scales. There has to be a judgment. That judgment must come. That wrongs will be righted. Judgment must come and come it will. Yet, if you were to go out today and talk with people where you work or go to school or on your ball team, you would probably, unless they were believers in Jesus Christ, you would probably be met with laughter, scorn, mockery, and derision. I like what the poet said, he who laughs last, laughs best. There's actually a verse in the Bible, in the Psalms, in verse 4 of Psalm 2, Psalm 2 verse 4, which by the way, that Psalm is about the last days. And in verse 4, speaking of God, it says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. So it will be proven to be true that he who laughs last does indeed laugh best. I'm reminded of the story of William Murray. You may not know that name, but you probably know the name of his famous mother, atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare, who was successful uh, using him as her son and getting prayer removed from American public schools. William Murray was raised by his mom, obviously. She was a Communist Party member. She was an atheist, and um, he had no real input of Christ or the Bible in any positive way in his upbringing. And yet, through the circumstances of his life that he described in his book, My Life Without God, William Murray came to a personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The night he was saved, when this process really reached its culmination, he went out in the city of San Francisco, and this is like probably 30 years ago, but it was quite a while ago, but he went out into San Francisco to find a, a bookstore or somewhere that he could get a Bible of his own. And I'm not sure how this happened, except the Holy Spirit was in charge of this. He went into a porn bookstore and asked the clerk if they happened to have a Bible in that store. The clerk laughed and said, yeah, we have one. 
is under that pile of books. And William Murray went over to a table filled with pornographic books and literature and buried beneath all of that was the Bible, the Word of God. William Murray bought that Bible. He began to read it and he came to personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. But it always struck me that when he had asked the clerk about that, it was that request was met with laughter. Now, what does the Bible actually say about the last days? What does it teach us regarding a judgment to come? And how can we understand this as part of the future trends of what is coming upon the world? Well, the Bible actually says quite a bit about this. <laughs> if you're not familiar with it, you will probably be shocked at how much the Bible says. So the first passage that I want to read to you, and I'll, I'll read it and I'll make comments as well. And I hope you're actually reading from a Bible or reading on screen. I have uh, been using Bible Gateway. I'm reading from the King James Version because that is the ver version where I memorized my scripture growing up and even still. And it's, a, um, it's just a, a sound and cadence that people are familiar with as being the Word of God. So maybe you have a different translation, uh, New American Standard or something like that. But anyway, I hope you'll follow along with us. And if you want to go to BibleGateway.com, you just type in Jude 14 to 19. Now, Jude is a, a rare book in the Bible in that it, it is only one chapter. So that's why it's Jude. It's not like Jude chapter 1, verse whatever. It's just Jude 14 to 19. But anyway, I have that right in front of me here. But if you read along, you'll see where Scripture is speaking and be able to tell where perhaps I'm making a comment on what we've read. Jude 14 to 19. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaking great, speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So the Bible tells us right here, Jude says there is a day of judgment coming, and those who do not know Christ personally, the ungodly, are going to be in bad trouble, Bubba. I'm telling you, it's going to be bad. 
my advice to you today is if you know you're in trouble because you don't know Christ, is that you turn to Christ while there's still time. The very fact that you're listening to a podcast like this is evidence to me and to you that the Lord Jesus Christ is is maneuvering things in your life to bring you to personal faith in Him, just like He did William Murray. You know, when we think about the last days, preachers often don't preach on it anymore. Churches don't have, uh, very many don't have Bible prophecy conferences. Just so much that was so prominent over the decades and centuries about the return of Christ is just ignored today. Scientists are more worried uh, than preachers about the end of the world. And you know, we live in an age where the end of the world cannot just come on one day. It, It could come, scientists think, in one hour because of the weapons that we possess. Now, let me tell you that I'm, although there could definitely be nuclear war, I'm not saying that couldn't happen, but the, the, the world is not so out of control that on just one random day, it's all going to end with a big bang. There is a, a process and a procedure prophetically that God has laid out. God is in control, and that's part of what we're talking about in future trends. But we see that there is a judgment day that is coming. Well, in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, now that's in the the New Testament toward the back of it, and it's right after 1 Timothy. (laughs) I hope that helps you. (laughs) 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, we read what the Apostle Paul wrote under the leadership and inspiration of the Spirit. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. In other words, dangerous times. Now, why why does God say that? Well, verse 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away." If you read this list, you might not even know what all of these words even mean. You can, you can look them up and check them out and you'll see. But if you, if you even know what some or most of these words mean, you realize like, wow, what a snapshot of life in 2019. Wow, how could God have known this? Well, the world has always been this way to to a great extent, for those who do not know Christ. However, we, we know that all of this intensifies more and more and more as we are racing toward the last days. And this is the kind of world that we live in now. Imagine how awful it will be 
when God removes his church from this world, those who believe in Christ, and it's through them and their presence and good deeds and love of the truth that evil is held back. Well, when the church is removed in the rapture of the church, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit will no longer work on the earth, but it does mean that 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 restraining influence against evil is removed and evil rushes like a flood upon the entire world. So that's a very sobering thought. In first, first Peter 4, verse 7, now I'm going to help you out again. First Peter comes before Second Peter. There you go. That's also in the New Testament toward the end of the New Testament. And if you're new to this whole Bible thing and Christianity, the Bible is divided into an Old Testament, um, the, the first part of the Bible, 39 books, and then the second part of the Bible, uh, am I going to get my math right here? What is it? 27 books in the New Testament. So anyway, 1 Peter 4, 7. We read here, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober or, or serious and watch unto prayer. If you are a believer in Christ already, that's wonderful. And, and we should live very focused, sober, serious lives. And we should be doing a lot of praying. Praying for ourselves and wisdom and protection. Also praying for those who do not yet know Christ. Believe it or not, before I punch the go button to record this podcast today, without knowing you or who would be listening, I prayed for you. I prayed that people who are listening, uh, that people would listen, and that if people were not yet saved, they would come to Christ if they were saved. Uh, my prayer on that is that you would just grow stronger and stronger in the Lord. But we see there that the Bible says the end of all things is at hand. That's in 1 Peter 4, 7. All right, here is a great, great passage. It might be, I think you could say it's the central passage of what we're talking about today, about laughing our way to the last days. Jesus Christ himself spoke these words in Luke 17, 26 to 30. Luke 17, 26 to 30. Now that's in the New Testament. It's the uh, third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the third gospel, Luke 17, that's the chapter, verses 26 to 30. I want you to read with me if you would, if you don't have your Bible in front of you, listen to what Jesus Christ said. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. That is, like when he will return. That's what he's saying. Verse 27, They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man 
is revealed. Jesus is saying here, using the two examples, which are historical examples, by the way, of Noah and Lot. In both cases, even though they were examples of people who were following the Lord and judgment was coming, except for a few members of their family, nobody else really listened. But you know what? Even though those people scorned, they mocked, they laughed, they derided them, that did not stop judgment from coming. And when judgment came, it came. Wow. Luke seventeen twenty six to 30. That was an age, if you read through uh, the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, if you read around um, the, uh, chapter 6 and several of the chapters, a couple of the chapters before that, it's easy to figure out that it was a world of globalism, much as our day. There was a historical figure named Nimrod, and he built the Tower of Babel where he challenged the world of his day instead of being divided up to unite, to form a, a, a global community, if you would. To, to take charge of their destiny and their future, basically to try to kick God out and just run the world the way they wanted to run it, which is exactly what globalists are doing today. Well, God destroyed the Tower of Babel. by um, he, dis- he destroyed that project <laughs> by confusing the languages of people. There was a day of pseudo-intellectualism, I remember one thing that President Ronald Reagan said about liberals. Is he says that they just know so much that just isn't so. <laughs> wow, does that describe today? The world is filled with people that are with their iPads and their iPhones and all of this and all of that and all of this pseudo-knowledge they think they have, they just know so much that just isn't so. It's a pseudo-intellectualism. It was true then. It's way true now. It was a world of sensualism. I looked that word up because I thought, well, maybe I invented that word. It's an actual word. Look it up. <laughs> it stands for excessive pursuit of pleasure. The excessive pursuit of pleasure. Basically, the world before the flood had a philosophy. If it feels good, do it. That's the same thing that Jerry Rubin said in the 1960s. And it's the same credo that the world lives by today. And that's such a a terrible creed to live by. Because let's say I'm mad at you and I think it'll feel good to kill you, that I'll feel good. You don't want me to do that. But under this philosophy, if it feels good, I would do it, right? That idea of of sensualism, especially in the area of the sexual. So it's the excessive pursuit of pleasure, sensualism. That depicted the world before Noah and before judgment came and Lot, and before judgment came on Sodom. And that basically sums up the world in which we live. It is a world of hedonism where it's all about pleasing myself. 
That was the world then, and that's just like it is now, just like Jesus said it would be before he comes and when he comes. It was a world of materialism. You know, get all you can, can all you get, and guard that can. It's a world where you're not happy with the new car you bought two years ago. You've got to get another new one now. That wonderful home that looked so great 10 years ago, you hate it now. And you want to double and triple the size of your home. It is just, a, it is not to say that that is always wrong. The, the point is, though, when we put things in the place of God, our lives are out of control. And the world of Noah and Lot's day and our world today is increasingly described as a world of materialism. More, 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 more. Somebody asked, I think it was uh, John D. Rockefeller, how much money did he want? And he said, just one more dollar. And think about what he was saying, just one more dollar. If it wasn't him, it was somebody else like him, <laughs> Carnegie or somebody like that. But I, th I think it was Rockefeller. So we live in a day not only of materialism, but I want to show you an amazing set of verses here. This, this is amazing. Genesis 6, very first book of the Bible, Genesis 6, 5 through 11. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Now here's one of the most wonderful verses in the Bible, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Are you walking with God? Well, how do I do that, Ed? Will you, you give your life to Christ? Jesus Christ is God. And you begin to walk through the Christian life, walk through this life with the Lord. Noah, in his own way, in his day, did that. You need to do that today. Noah was looking forward to Christ. Christ is now here with us. You can trust him and believe him. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 11, the earth was also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. I looked up that word violence, and I was shocked at the Hebrew word. You can check me out on this. The Hebrew word is Hamas, H-A-M-A-S, Hamas. And it, it means basically uh, really, really violent violence, like, like terrorism. Sort of the attitude that the world had gotten to the point where everybody had the attitude of what's mine is mine 
and what's yours is mine, and if I have to, I will kill you to take it. If you live in a major metro area, you see this kind of murderous, terroristic insanity every day on the news where people kill each other to take what the other people have or out of some grudge or some perceived insult or injury. It's common in places like Memphis, Atlanta, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and around the world. It's not unique just to America. But we see (laughs) that word is Hamas, violence. And it's interesting that Hamas is the acronym for the Sunni Muslim group that operates in Palestine, and lo and behold, they use terrorism, they use violence, and other groups like them use violence in the world. Now, I'm not suggesting here in this verse that it's talking about terrorism that we see today, but violent violence is definitely terroristic. In fact, somebody can be guilty of making terroristic threats. That can be a legal charge, right? You see what I'm saying. That's the world like it was, Noah's world, Lot's world, just before judgment fell. And Jesus said, the world will be like it was then, it shall be again. And that's what we're seeing right now, a future trend pointing to the return of Christ. Let's go to 2 Peter 2, 5 through 9. 2 Peter 2, 5 through 9. Pastor Ed, why do you read so much Bible? Because too many other people are not reading enough of it. There you go. Preachers and people are not into the Bible like we need to be. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Now, he's speaking about God, and we pick it up here in verse 5. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. In other words, those were warnings, and if people have any sense today, they will heed the warnings of God. Back to, back to this passage, verse 7, And delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, that is, the way they lived. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. I'm so glad because Noah looked like a righteous person, but Lot didn't. But they both were trusting in the Lord. They were both burdened by the corruption and violence and the sin that dominated their day, and God saved them both because they both were trusting 
ultimately in Jesus Christ. And the Lord knows how to take to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. So there's only two sides. Which side are you on? Are you on the Lord's side or the side of the unjust, the ungodly? And you are on right now one side or the other. There's no in-between, no middle ground. And we're going to go to our last passage here, and it's a longer one, but it ties all of this up. Second Peter, so just go over one more chapter. Second Peter 3, so go from Second Peter 2 to Second Peter 3. Second Peter 3, verses 3, 13. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now, that, now the, what Peter's showing us here, God's showing us through Peter, is that one of the signs that you're heading for the last days and you're pretty much in it is scoffers who mock the idea they live, live their, the way they want, not the way God wants, and and they mock the idea that Christ is returning. And they make a grave philosophical error. They assume that what they see now is the way it's always been. There's a fancy word for that. It's called uniformitarianism. It simply means as they think, hey, everything's always been this way. There are no flaws. There's no fire from heaven that killed people and all of that. You know, there is no God. God is not coming back. The return of Christ isn't going to happen. Everything's always been this way, and it will always be this way as long as the earth exists. Big mistake. Verse 5, here's, here's why that's a mistake. Maybe you're making this mistake. For this, they willingly, in other words, the evidence is all over, history in the Bible. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, that is, God created the heavens, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. So God is the creator. Verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. That is, the, the world has not always been just like it is now. There came a day of judgment with the flood. I remember sitting in a, a geology class. I think it was in my first year in college, you know, maybe my second year. And I even remember the professor's name at, at Columbus College, which is now Columbus State University, Dr. Hanley. The fascinating class. I had no idea I was that interested in geology, but it was fascinating. But I'll never forget the day that he he said that that fossils that should be like on the bottom of the ocean are found on the tops of mountains. And um, base, I think I asked the question. This is a long time ago now, <laughs> but I think I asked the question: Does that indicate that there was a flood that the world was once covered by water? And uh, um, I think I did ask that, and he he acknowledged that. Now I, I don't know what he personally believed about it, but. 
think about it. Things that belong in the sea, fossils, are found on the tops of mountains. Things are found where they shouldn't be. And everybody who's honest in geology knows this. The world was overflowed once with water. Verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. So like when people mock, well, it's been a long time since Jesus left, I don't think he's coming back. When they make statements like that, maybe you've made that statement. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Now, let me break it down. Jesus has been gone about, on God time, (laughs) about two days. You see, God is not trapped within the space-time continuum. I bet you never thought you would hear a preacher say that phrase. God's not trapped within time. Time is something you and I go through. God created it. He's not trapped in it. So to us, it's been about 2,000 years since Christ ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And he's going to come back and say, well, it's been 2,000 years. Not on God time. It's been about two days. Think about that. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, if the Lord had already come back and you were not a believer in him, you would have no hope. The perceived, and it's not a delay, but the perceived delay is actually God's long-suffering patience, giving more and more people the opportunity to repent of their sin and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come, As a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Sounds like a nuclear explosion to me. Now, God doesn't need nuclear weapons, by the way, but it's interesting that we have them, and this description is is here because when a scientist reads these words, there's only one thing he thinks of, and that is nuclear fusion, fission, and all that stuff. Now, I'm not a scientist. Verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? looking for and hasting under the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. 
Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So, basically, God is saying here that I'm coming. It seems it's been a long time, but on my time it hasn't been. And when I come, I will save those trusting in me and those that are rejecting me. It will be a time of judgment for them. So I would say this to you, my friend. It's five minutes till midnight. Where are you with the Lord? Do you realize there's nothing that prevents the rapture of the church from happening today or tonight or next week? And, and the tribulation period begins to unfold on the earth. It's five minutes till midnight. And you are either on God's team, you are either in God's army, or you're not. You're either among the godly, though your life may seem unperfect, imperfect today, or you're among the ungodly, and there's no middle ground. You either belong to Jesus right now, or you don't. You are either a repenter who believes in Jesus right now, or you're not. Five minutes till midnight, are you saved or are you lost? I would urge you, my friend, to call upon the name of the Lord today. Call upon Jesus Christ today. Confess to him that you are a sinner by nature and you have committed many sins and that you are convicted of your lost condition and you need him to come into your life and save you, that you want what he did on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins to be applied to your sins, that you could be forgiven and go free because he paid that price in his death. He was buried and he rose again the third day, proving that God accepted his sacrifice for your sins on the cross. He is God. He has ascended to heaven. He is coming again. If you are not yet a Christian, I urge you to call upon Christ to be saved today. If you are already a Christian, I hope this encourages you and gives you hope that you will be an even more vibrant, fervent witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's just whetting your appetite for when that time comes and you get to go to be with the Lord. You know what? You may be still living on earth and actually see and experience the rapture of the church. I believe we are not only laughing our ways to the last days, but the last days are, if they're not upon us now, they are about to be unleashed upon the world. If you would like to communicate with me regarding Bible questions, you can email me at pastoredhill at gmail.com. I thank you for listening today to This Week in the Word. I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. Please, please tell other people about this podcast. Let them know how they can grow in their walk with the Lord by going deeper in the Word of God. 
Help them find it this week in the Word at www.dredhill.podbean.com. Remind them that that doctor part, the DR part, is just DR. There's no period. DR Ed Hill, D R E D H I L L, dot podbean dot com. They can also probably most likely find us on iTunes and Google Play. But they could just type www.dredhill.podbean.com right into their browser, and they will end up where they can get the free app. They can listen anytime, subscribe free, and get notifications of every new episode as it comes up. Well, thanks again for listening. It's my pleasure, my privilege, my honor to bring the Word of God to you. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Bye-bye.